Thank you, Pastor Brian. That was wonderful. Good message. Okay. Good afternoon. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, well, I hate to be that guy, okay? But I, I do have mixed feelings about Valentine's Day. Did you know that Glasgow has a claim to possessing the bones of St. Valentine? Apparently, well, there are three other cities at least have a claim on St. Valentine's bones. But apparently in the 19th century, a Frenchman sent to the diocese in Glasgow a box. And on this box, it said Corpus Valentini Martyrs, Valentine's bones. And people still, to this day, go and visit this site where apparently the bones are, and they ask St. Valentine to give them their true love, help them find the one, as if there is someone out there ready to fulfill them, to complete them, to make them the person they were always made to be. I think a lot of people get fooled into thinking that way about romance, about love, and uh, when that person who they meet and they think, oh, this is the one. I've met them finally. When they do meet them and then they get to know them a bit and maybe they get married and live together, they often find out that this person isn't, well, I imagine they always find out that this person isn't perfect and they snore and they fart and they do all sorts of other horrible, disgusting things. And then they ask themselves, how is it that I'm so miserable in this relationship. Wasn't this a person supposed to fulfill all my dreams and weren't they supposed to come and satisfy me? Well, the good news is that there is someone who can satisfy you, whose love can satisfy you, but it's not where these people coming to find Valentine's bones are looking. And it's not where all these people pursuing romance to fulfill all their dreams, are looking. Today we're back in our series, The Greater Story, and we turn to Jesus' parable about ten virgins. It's part of five extended parables, and each of them are telling us something slightly different about how we wait for Jesus to return. We're reading from Matthew 25, uh, so grab your Bibles. If you've got a Bible nearby, grab a Bible. And we have Matthew Graham, one of our amazing students. Students, we love you. We really do. And uh, we're so thankful for this way in which you are contributing at the moment in our meetings. But oh, we just wish we could like be with you, have a coffee with you, chat with you, uh, pray with you, uh, and, and have you walk through uni uh, or college or whatever you're studying or doing at the moment. Um, but we recognize that it's tough for you. We're praying for you. We love you. Just want you to know that. So Matthew Graham, he's going to read from uh, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. I'm Matthew, one of the students from Grace, and I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. So the parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. 
The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the parables we've been hearing throughout this series. We just pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to what you want to teach us this morning through Ian. And we pray that you would bless him as he comes to preach to us. We pray that you would prepare us as a church and that you would use us as a church to prepare Glasgow um, for the day when you return. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Brilliant. Thank you, Matthew. So here's Jesus painting another picture of a, a real life event in first century Palestine. And I love the way that Jesus does this. He earths really big concepts into everyday scenarios. So here we have a wedding and uh, the groom is preparing for that wedding. Now, preparation these days would look very different for a wedding uh, than it did then. Back then, it was mostly about the groom preparing the home because that's where you would get married. So it would actually be the family home. So they might build a new home on the land of, the, um, of his family, and then he's preparing that home for him and his new bride to live in. Or... It could be that they extend a room or something like that, but they're readying uh, the home for uh, taking home his bride. And the, uh, it's really interesting because when they do this and they're getting everything ready, they could wait for up to, they would make the bride wait for almost up to seven days at times, although I'm pretty sure that uh, almost no groom was able to wait seven days, if you know what I mean. The bridegroom could arrive at any moment at the bride's house. So the bride is waiting with her bridesmaids for the groom to come. It could even be the middle of the night, which is the literal translation of what we get in verse 6 as midnight. Then you can imagine, can't you, when the groom comes and he stands outside her home imagine I'm asking, are you ready? Are you ready? Waiting for her response. Are you ready for our new life together? And when it's obvious she is, they walk arm in arm to their new home. Then a procession of light would begin. The bride is surrounded by her bridesmaids who all have these lamps and they go with her all the way down to the home of her new groom. Now, don't think we side lamp here, okay? This isn't your little side lamp next to your bed, all right? This is a flaming torch. We all know one flaming torch, at least in our world today, and that is the one that didn't go in its procession in 2020, and that's the Olympic torch. Think of the Olympic torch. Think of a torch like that, where it's burning, it goes in a procession and uh, of course, the Olympic torch, its destination is the Olympic Stadium, goes all the way from Olympus in Greece to the Olympic Stadium. Well, the destination of these torches was to the home of the groom. Now, in Jesus' story, he doesn't mention the bride 
or her bridesmaids. Do you notice that? He just says there are 10 virgins, verse 1. And that the kingdom of heaven is like those 10 virgins. Now, that's because these 10 virgins represent the people of God, the church. Jesus' message is to us all. If you are waiting for the groom, you should be waiting for the groom, that's Jesus, then you'd better be careful that you do not run out of oil and miss out on the procession and the marriage. Not everyone who looks like they are in the kingdom of heaven are in the kingdom of heaven. You can wear the dress without being the bride. It turns out that five of them look the part, but they are not truly God's people. Oh, man. Think on that. It is possible to know the right answers about Jesus, but not actually know him. When Jesus returns to take his bride home, five of the virgins weren't ready while five were. So when Jesus returns, will you honestly be able to say, Jesus, I'm ready. In Revelation 19, John is given a vision of this great moment. The moment these five virgins are ready to go home with Christ. They hear the voice of the groom. This is a cry ringing out in verse 6. So listen to this in Revelation 19. And then think about that cry in verse 6 here in our text. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. (laughs) He adores her. He is jealous for her. He is mad about you. He is head over heels for you. He's in love with you. Did you know that? And he's coming. He's coming to find you, to bring you home. That is what makes sense of a lot of the sexual language in the Bible. It's what makes sense of a lot of the language around marriage. Think of the Song of Songs or or, uh, Song of Solomon, a biblical book about sex. And sex in Song of Songs is about much more than sex. It's about the intimacy of Jesus and his bride. It points to God's passion for us. It's what makes sense of Hosea when God tells him to marry Gomer, the prostitute. Hosea isn't just marrying a a Richard Gere type in Pretty Woman. Hosea is a Jesus type coming to marry Gomer like Jesus came to marry us, love us, cleanse us, value us, and bring us home for eternity. It is why Israel is described as God's bride, despite constantly failing to keep her end of the covenant. These are pictures of the people of God entering into a marriage with a husband who is so faithful and good and reliable and perfectly loving. 
The marriage between Jesus and the church is the archetype of all good marriages, and it is your future marriage. Well-known preacher John Piper put it this way, King Jesus came into the world to take a wife, to give her pleasures that make sex taste like cardboard. He paid for her with his life, and he is now at work by his spirit and by his word purifying and beautifying her for himself and for her joy. Jesus came and proposed. Did you say yes to that yet? Did anyone hear the story about a couple in Bolton this last week? I love this story. It's about um, a couple called Mavis and Stanley. They've been married for 60 years, but for this last year, they had been separated because Stanley was in a home, but Mavis wasn't. And because of all the uh, rules around COVID, she wasn't allowed to go and visit him. And let's be honest, Zoom and uh, phone calls just... They aren't the same if, you've, if you're not hard of hearing or if you're not a bit older. But imagine for these guys. So difficult. It just wasn't cutting it. But they were reunited this week because Mavis decided she would go into care to be with them. And like Stanley, we have been waiting. Waiting for our spouse to arrive. I think we've got a picture of the two of them. Um, so here's the two of them uh, in that moment where they get together again. And uh, man, if you've watched the video, I dare you not to cry. I didn't, honest. I did. But this spouse, our spouse, who will make the most amazing romance or sexual intimacy feel pathetic in comparison. He is the one who can satisfy your soul. This Valentine's Day, I encourage you, lift your eyes from the urges of romance, from these little signs, which are good. It's a good urge, but it's just a little sign that actually points to something far greater, to your marriage to Jesus. In verse 5, Jesus says that there was a delay. The waiting might take a long time. And we know it has. <laughs> it's been 2,000 years. But we know why. His patient love for his bride. 2 Peter tells us, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. While we wait for Jesus, we are to be ready with our lamps, our torches filled with oil. So what does that mean? <laughs> what does it actually mean to wait with our oils, uh, with our lamps full of oil? Well, it means that we keep ourselves saturated in the flammable power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the oil represented. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And it keeps our hearts burning for Jesus. He keeps our hearts burning for Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians saying that they had received the Spirit but weren't continuing to walk in the Spirit. To keep your oil topped up is to continue to walk in the Spirit. We are saints and we are to live as the saints 
we are. Get it? So we are saints, but we are to live by the power of the Holy Spirit as the saints we are. In the New Testament, the Spirit of God is called the Holy Spirit more than 90 times. Now, that isn't because, you know, it's just part of his name as if it was uh, his surname or something. No, no, the biblical writers want to make a point. He is holy, and he is making you holy. It's similar to the reason Jesus is named Jesus Christ so often in the Bible. Does, did anyone else here, anyone else um, think that Christ was Jesus' second name when they were a kid? Yeah, I, I was that guy. Uh, I thought that was just his second name. No, no, no. The, the writers were making a point, weren't they? The, the writers were making a point about Jesus' identity. This is your Savior, the promised servant king, come to rescue you. The Spirit is given to make us more holy. And the writers of the New Testament make that point clearly again and again and again and again. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. The bride is purified and readied according to Revelation 21.8, by the righteous acts of the holy people. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see that? So it's what we do that readies us, but it is the Holy Spirit in us that causes us to do these things, these righteous acts. A Spirit-filled life is a fruitful one where we grow in love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. We become more holy, more like Jesus, as we continue in the Spirit. You can't do it in your own strength. This isn't just about disciplining yourself, whipping yourself until you do the right things. No, no. We need the power of the Spirit to be filled with the Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we actually end up filling our lamps with empty things. We become like the temple courts in Jesus' day. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, a place where people meet with God. But Jesus finds it corrupt, full of exploiters and distractors. Did you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? That's the question that Paul asks the Corinthians and it's one that we should continually ask ourselves. Paul says, therefore, glorify, honor God with your body. A spirit-filled person invites Jesus to turn over the tables in his heart and be filled with the Holy Spirit and live a life of holiness before God. When the Holy Spirit fills us, he causes us to think about our groom, our altogether lovely one. The Song of Solomon called him. That phrase wasn't thought up in a big top in uh, the south of England somewhere, a big tent uh, where lots of young people are worshipping. Altogether lovely, altogether worthy. It's a great song, but actually the song of Sol, uh, it was um, Solomon uh, who, who came up with it. And he was talking about Jesus hundreds of years before he came to propose. This Valentine's Day, know this. 
There is one who truly satisfies us. His name is Jesus, and it is through a spirit-filled life that you will be ready for an eternity with him. So, let's just get practical here, okay? Jesus earths these things in everyday scenarios. Well, let's, let's work out what does this actually look like for us? What can help us to live a spirit-filled life as we ready ourselves for Jesus' return? Number one, keep inviting him in. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. See Ephesians 4, if you want to find out more about that. He's a person with feelings. You're in a relationship with him. And it's vital that you don't treat him as an it who can be discarded and picked up at at your whim. No, you're in an intimate relationship with him. He loves you. He wants to empower you and make you more like Jesus. Keep inviting him in to do that. Look out for when you're going to be doing that Uh, together, all of us, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a new series called Supernatural. And the first thing we're going to do before we talk about any of the particular gifts is just invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us and for us to learn a bit more about what it means to have a spirit-filled life. Number two, receive him for free. Although he is jealous for you and he can be grieved, he's not like the friend you know who is in a mood with you. You don't have to work him back round. He comes to you by the blood of the Lamb. That is how you were cleansed and made ready for the Spirit of God to come and live in you. Constantly remind yourself that he comes to you without you having to earn or regain his trust. He's endlessly forgiving through Christ. Ask the Spirit, number three, to help you read the Bible. There is a fallacy in our church culture where we think that the Holy Spirit is just something you feel in the worship time and the Word of God is detached and intellectual. Nonsense. The Spirit leads us in the truth through the Word of God. That's why Jesus said about him, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. John 16, 13. Be filled with the Spirit and see Scripture come alive. Number four, wait on the Spirit, not the next season of life. Well, you know, I've got other things to do. Then I'll think about spiritual things, but about really living for Jesus. Not ready yet. No, ready yourself now. Nothing is more urgent. When the cry is heard that the groom is coming and they should come out to meet him in verse 6, notice something. Both the wise and the foolish virgins start trimming the wick on their lamps. Regardless if they've got any oil or not. I mean, how foolish They've been waiting for the next season of life, of life before readying themselves, before taking their faith seriously, and they end up locked out. Do not get caught out saying, like the virgins in verse 11, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. Only for Jesus to reply with these words. These words should, oh, 
These words are the kind of words we never, ever want to hear. These are the words that should scare us more than any other words. Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Don't wait. Whatever you're doing right now that you think is more important and you have to wait is not more important. Be ready when he comes. And then wait on the Spirit. Listen to him. I find that when I do that, when I'm waiting, truly waiting on the Spirit, listening to God, I find that opportunities come to be more like Christ. Whether that's sharing the gospel with someone or whether that's finding out that I'm far more selfish than I imagined the day before. Having God help me to become more like Christ. I find that when I wait, these things are revealed. Number five, exercise your own faith. Don't just borrow someone else's. We love stories of other people's faith, don't we? And that's great. They should, they should inspire us. But let's make sure they inspire us and don't, we don't just sit back and admire their stories. We don't want to just sit in a pew or a seat somewhere and, and, and admire this great story or, or watching on YouTube somewhere some amazing faith story or reading a book. That's great, but, but it's got to be so much more than admiring. It's got to inspire us to believe that the Holy Spirit can do something like that through us. Don't just borrow other people's faith. You cannot borrow genuine, spirit-filled faith. Sometimes go cycling with Charlie. Uh, Charlie's part of our Southside Grace community. And um, if you haven't met Charlie, he's a very sporty guy and he's extremely fit. And uh, I don't keep up <laughs> when we go cycling. And so when we get to the hills, what I do is I get as close to his back wheel as I most possibly can. And the reason is, is that I can then get into his slipstream and try and get dragged up the hill. I might as well be holding on to his jumper in front because I'm just holding on with all I've got to try and stay with him. And that works in cycling. It does not work with your faith. You cannot ride on the slipstream of someone else's faith. Not your parents' faith, not your friend's faith, not some YouTube preacher's faith. You can't ride into heaven on the coattails of other believers. Lastly, read the four parables, the other four parables about waiting on Jesus this week, especially the parable of the sheep and the goats, starting in verse 31 of the same chapter. That's my challenge to you. Read those four other parables. When Jesus returns, where will you be? What will you be doing? Will you be ready? Waiting? anticipating the return of this groom who's going to take you home? Will your lamp have been made ready with worship, with intimacy, by immersing yourself in the Word of God and doing it? Are you prepared? It's not too late. But it could be soon. If he came tonight, 
would you be ready? This Valentine's Day, let's not be like the people so desperate to meet the one that we go and try and visit St. Valentine's Bones or do other crazy things. Even the best of those kinds of relationships are no more than signs pointing us to the greatest, the better, the much better Valentine. Let's lift our eyes to Jesus, our groom, who is returning. He's going to take us home. He could return at any moment. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Lord Jesus, our groom. You are our dwelling place, Lord, our place of satisfaction. Oh, Lord, we watch and we wait. Fill us with your Spirit again and again. Help us to burn brightly. Prepare us for your return, Lord. Lord, we want everything to be about you. Come, Lord. We want our whole lives to be about you, waiting for you. We know that that is where we'll be satisfied. We'll be satisfied in you alone. And so, Lord, today of all days, we just declare it again. We say, your love is better. There is no love like your love. We're thankful for all this, all these other relationships we can have, these other ways of loving people and being loved by others. But God, we know that they're just a sign, a sign to a a far better love, a love that will last forever, a one that we can truly rely upon, one where we'll never be let down. Despite us being so unfaithful, your forgiveness keeps coming. Your love keeps coming. You keep adoring. You keep inviting us in and you will return for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So as we worship now, let's turn our eyes away from all of these other things that the world keeps throwing at us. Corrupt our temples of worship and instead be readied for our bride, for our groom. We are the bride. (laughs) Let's enjoy him now as we worship.